Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded live at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. And Check I'm... us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Now, Heidi. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. And now I'm Heidi McDonald, uh, also co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as a views, uh, graphic novels review editor of... Publishers Weekly, and the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. This week on uh, More to Come, SPX 2013. Uh, the Brooklyn Book Festival is just jammed with comics artists. Uh, DC Comics at New York Comic Con. And live from the floor of SPX, better known as the Small Press Expo, we're going to have live interviews with Josh Kramer of the Cartoon Picayune, uh, Picture Box a publisher, Dan Nadell, um, uh, and uh, cartoonist Box Brown, uh, and, and following that, the briefs as well. So uh, let's get right to it. Um, SBX 2013, the biggest little the biggest cool small festival. press expo yes. of all times. Yes, um, everybody's favorite. Uh, uh, a model. I think I said that about in about three of the interviews I did. A model for. Uh, as you, as you term the, the the trend, comics art festival. Yes, the calf con. The yeah. calves. Um, as opposed to the cons. Uh, a bigger show floor, uh, you know, fabulous artists, beautiful books. Uh, did I leave anything yeah, out? No, I mean, it was a really great show. Last year they had a real blockbuster when they had as guests uh, the all-time greatest cartoonist lineup of Dan Klaus, Chris Ware, the Hernandez brothers, Adrian Tomine, uh, Seth, and so on. So it was a real, um, Art Spiegelman was there last year, mm-hmm. I believe. So it was a huge, like, fantastic all-time great. But guess what? This year's show was even bigger. And uh, I haven't gotten attendance numbers yet, but I think there probably was more people there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly more exhibitors, as yes, they figured yes, out. They exactly, had, the, yeah. the show floor had expanded, what was it, a third? Uh, yes, they expanded to a third. I talked to Warren Burton, I just as I was leaving, actually. Um, uh, they expanded a third to 2,300 square feet. Um, and I get the numbers on the, on the tables a little confused. I have them. Yeah, okay. Uh, 280 tables okay. and 600 exhibitors. Okay. Right. I, I, although I think it was bigger than 600 exhibitors. I think it was actually. Yeah. Well, there seemed to be about five people at yes, every exactly. table. So, I mean, I so think. I think, it was, I think it was something but, like 680, I had heard. Of, but, but. There was look, a lot. There was a lot. There was hundreds everybody and their brother and their friend and whoever was helping them sell things. <laughs> For and sure. Extras at their tables. Mm-hmm. Although, oh. I think you'd had to be a cartoonist of some kind to, or an artist to, to get in there. I saw very. There's very few people who are working for these companies who aren't actually cartoonist too it seems to me but um you know it's 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 a very much a maker aesthetic as i said um well lots of signings um i think in in your roundup uh you went right to really the uh march book one the panel with right. uh, representative john lewis uh, andrew Iden, and um nate powell, and nate powell. Mm-hmm. uh I, people were crying <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, stand, was, I've never seen a standing ovation at a comic book panel yes. before. <laughs> well, uh, it's it's a it's a wonderful book, but really, the three of them really uh, do such an amazing job. Um, it, I hate to call it book promotion because of the nature of the book that they're talking about. Yeah. But that they are, said, they are doing a great job. They're, they're doing a great job. They're really connecting uh, all of us to history and. Uh, I, I thought in the panel there on Saturday, uh, Andrew Iden was particularly, I thought, evocative when he brought it all home, starting off on, on the Senate 
floor, where apparently uh, he, he's uh, made it safe to be a comic book geek. Right. Um, but but to, but to uh, refer back to um, the investigations in the comic books right. culture, the, the Fred Wortham years, uh, the congressional investigations, uh, you know, he termed it, you know, this, this wasn't just a bad thing. It ruined people's lives. It took away people's livelihood. And he went from that to bring it full circle to them being able to talk about this book on the floor of the Senate, uh, to have um, <coughs> a number of uh, uh, Representative Lewis's colleagues trying to snarf up free books. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and uh, Representative Lewis uh, did mention that uh, he tries to tell people in a nice way that it's in bookstores. Um, but I just was, it was, it was this uh, charming and moving uh, discussion to hear them talk about the making. Yeah, of and I, I mean, they've also appeared at San Diego Comic Con, mm -hmm. and uh, I think there was one other comics event they were at. Was it there? Or was uh, it they've been at, a, they've been book at, well, they were at Book Expo. As yes, well. they were at yes, Book yes. Expo. Yes. Where, so, I mean, yes. So. I'm, I'm sure he'll sign it for free for any representative who buys a copy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Free. Well, I think well, he, he signed for yes, almost yes. two hours afterwards. He yes, loves sir. signing. And meeting people, and uh, it really inspires people. It's really, I mean, I, I, as I yes. put in my piece, afterwards there was a panel with Peter Bagg where he talked about his Margaret Sanger biography, and which also went very heavily mm -hmm. into American history, the history of... Um, Has that come out yet? Uh, it's out It's out next month. Ah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, or this month, actually. It's, I think it's out uh, at the end of this month, So, um, which is why they were promoting it. So... Mm -hmm. um, uh, but anyway, as I, I said, it's rare that you have such a chance to learn about history at a comics convention. Absolutely. From the people uh, who lived it. Absolutely. Um, I spent some time in the Jeff Smith um, panel also. Uh, he was on ha in hand with absolutely drop-dead, beautiful, gorgeous copies of Rassel. Yes. Uh, a hardcover, full-color edition. Um, uh, and apparently sold out every single mm -hmm. copy. Yeah, I think it went very fast, <laughs> yeah. actually. So. Um, uh, and what can you say? I mean, some of the books, um, uh, you know, the um, Farrell uh, Dalrymple has a, a hardcover collection of, uh, they really collects his older work, but it's a beautiful book. Uh, Ad House Books is, is putting it out. Um, there were signings by Rutu Modan, um, uh, Brian Ralph, uh, the list goes on. Yeah, Uli Luce. At this, uh, uh, oh, yes, Uli yeah. Luce was. Um, there, she won the Ignatz for Best Graphic yes. Novel. For yes, I wasn't able to be for, for the, the Ignatz. So you, you can talk a little about that. I wasn't oh, able to well, stay for the Ignatz Awards. Oh, well, they were awards. Uh, everybody loves the Ignatzes as opposed to other comic book awards where people have to be dragged, kicking, and screaming, even if they're probably going to win. The Ignatz <laughs> is a standing room only, probably because it's the shortest awards. That does tend to help. It really, really helps. Uh, this uh, ceremony weighed in at a brisk 45 minutes, as opposed to the five hours that the Harveys lasted. <laughs> Holy five hours? Well, the five, five hours, hours started well, we from the first cocktail to the last that. last award. <laughs> there was a cocktail hour and an hour and a, almost two hours of dinner in there. Well, yeah, it's hard to believe that anybody who didn't think they were getting an award would ever show up to a five-hour award dinner. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, unless you're really a saint. So, uh, Walt Simonson was there to win his but, Harvey. You know, that but, you uh, as opposed to the concept. Yes. But as opposed to that, almost all the Ignatz winners were there. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a tiny <laughs> handful who weren't there. Um, and uh, the MC Lisa Don Liza, pardon me, Liza Donnelly, uh, mm. New Yorker cartoonist, who has a book called Men and Women coming out later this year. Uh, she had, uh, working with the SPX organizers, had a list of presenters that was all female cartoonists, and uh, which oh, is also right. again a very right. nice contrast to Harvey's, where there's only one uh, presenter. And so, 
it's very nice. A very yeah. nice in your portrait. face, sexist yeah. comic book fans. Yeah. In your face. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, I, I have heard things about the Harveys, not not about the length, but about certain people who they don't consider comic book creators, who nevertheless have, you know, vast readerships. Well, the Harveys are all voted on. I mean, this is, you know, it's a, yeah. they're voted on by industry professionals. So, I mean, it's I don't know how much the organizers really have to do with anything to do with the well, actual Well, even the people involved in it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that's a topic for when we're off the air. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> I meant for, for who is eligible and so on. Eligibility uh-huh. requirements. And uh-huh. Well, there's um, some angry I mean, web uh, uh, To sum it all up, you know, SBX is uh, really just one of the great... Uh, comics arts festivals yeah in, in absolutely countries. and um, just really a great time and as i also tweeted like if you went on tumblr afterwards and read all the uh, reports it's a very young show uh, yeah. a lot of cartoonists are kind of actually some of them wrote you know my parents were worried about leaving me there because i was going to be by myself but i said it would be all right so i mean this is like kids getting dropped off by their parents yeah. to go to a comic book festival um, with all the uh, passion, drama, and touching moments that that, uh, <laughs> that might um, uh, suggest. But it really is a very empowering event for, yeah. for young cartoonists. Mm. And, um, uh, yeah, I, well, you know, we should address those, some of the concerns. I mean, you'll hear that in some of our mm. interviews that we did. But there were some concerns that there was some dilution. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, I, I heard it from a couple of publishers, um, yeah, that, you know, the adding the, the, the extra exhibitors may have you basically, you know, diluted the buying power of, of fans. Though, I heard as many people say that they had done just as well selling. And I mean, not, not your single one-person operations. Um, say that they had done just as well, if not better, than the years before, as those who said that they thought their sales were down just a little. Right. So, you know, I think as much as I love all the books, and as much as we are mm-hmm. the kind of, uh, I don't know, polyglot readers who we we like it. If it's comics, we like it, with very few exceptions. There's very True. few cartoonists who I I just turn up my nose at completely. Uh, but I think some people need to. I think this, there are more different schools emerging. Certainly web cartoonists have a very mm-hmm. big presence. and I, I don't think mm-hmm. there's that much crossover with a lot of that. Mm. Um, and also, I think some publishers need to take a hard look at their audience. You know, I think some audiences are very selective. And, and mm. quite frankly, you don't own the right to your customer's money. You know? <laughs> I mean, if, so, if somebody else publishes something you they'd say. rather buy, then that's not a judgment you, you on them. You that's a, a judgment on you. You can say you have a monopoly on your own money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you can decide where you want to spend it. Well, that's true. Um, but uh, you know, and just real quickly, in case you know, I mean, the, the it's also without a doubt one of the most convenient um, comics art festivals. I mean, it's all in one spot. I mean, if you're traveling there, it's all in the same hotel. I mean, I travel in from New York on the same day. It's sitting, you know, a metro station sits right on top of it. Uh, you can take the train down, and it takes you straight there, and you spend the rest of the day in comic book bliss. So uh, it's got a lot going great for location. it. Great location. It's a great location. It I, is. And I didn't think it would be at first until I got there. Right. And I mean, it's, everybody ago. calls it Camp Comics or Camp Snoopy. I mean, it really is. You get Hotel Comics. Hotel Comics, <laughs> because you get there. It takes up, now, it takes up the entire hotel. Uh, as I said, people, it's like, it is like summer camp. It's like hmm. so many young cartoonists are going there for their vacation they're 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 in a, it's a really nice hotel they're treated well 
and you have nowhere to go. I mean, it is it's on a busy true. highway. You can hike down to P.F. Chang's or Brio if you need to, where there's a diner around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a sex toy shop around the corner. But <laughs> I've never heard anyone mention appetites. that except me, and I only noticed it because I went to get a manicure once. But uh, uh, that's it. You're there. Um, yeah. There's room parties. There's food on the patio. That's, there's, oh, that's, well, there's that's, free food. I, uh, should, I should give a shout-out to the Jokowski family. Uh, Mike and Martha and Emily, the daughter who goes to SVA, because every year, the, the Emily's parents do a feast of just delicious, healthy, nutritious food. Martha cooks, <laughs> it, and I should say that uh, Mike cooks some of it too. Uh, and they set up four or five tables out there, and it's like all of the SVA students, and basically anybody there, any kid there that's looking for something to eat. They bring them over there. Well, it's, now, it's become now, a little tradition. But, but Calvin, the food doesn't last long. Does it, it certainly does not. Because I've get, never even heard of this. Well, they like me, so I always get. I always get a. Well, this year she even made me a go bag because wow. <laughs> she knew I. Because I take the train back on Saturday night. So, but I'll make sure you're involved next year, Vince. Because yeah. uh, it's great. Well, if there's another thing I've learned at ICPX is that when you have a lot of indie cartoonists, free food doesn't last <laughs> it long. It doesn't last long at all. Yeah. Well, that's that's so. pretty much fans and comic yeah. people in general. I mean, yeah. much as booze is popular, free food is even better. Yeah, but I've never seen free food go with this fast. This is a record. <laughs> but All right, well, moving right along. Well, Speaking of festivals, uh, we've got another festival coming up this weekend, uh, the Brooklyn Book Festival on Sunday, the uh, 22nd. Uh, not a comics-focused festival, but this is a this is a, a festival that has in- integrated and incorporated cartoonists and cartooning, you know, really very heavily, very heavily throughout the show. Um, uh, panelists are, uh, cartooning panelists are, um, you know, on panels through on all kinds of literary themes. They're not strictly on uh, segregated in the comics panel, though there are all comics panels. Indeed. So, there is an Art Spiegelman and Jules Pfeiffer panel. That's going to be, yes. That's there sort of a keynote a event there. World According to Cartoonists panel, which Absolutely. has you know, a lot of comic book reporting. And there is The Future, Big New Books in Comics Sci-Fi. Yes, and which I will be moderating. moderating Which I'll be moderating. I'll be moderating, and it uh, includes Paul Pope, uh, who's going to be talking about uh, One Trip Ripoff, Jeff Smith talking about the fabulous Rassel, his new book, and Faith Aaron Hicks will be talking about The the Last of Us, her uh, dystopian um, post apocalyptic. An ad- adaptation of a post-apocalyptic video game, mm. uh, which is actually a, for a, an adaptation, it's, it's very gritty and great characters, um, and I'll, I'm going to give all the credit of that to Faith because she's really great at that. Um, but there's more, and <laughs> and they have a Tumblr. Yes, they, they do. They have a be- they have a Tumblr. Well, well, often it's hard to find the comics programming at a non-comic <laughs> focused convention. So here, they've taken care of the problem by having a Tumblr devoted to this topic called bkbfcomics.tumblr.com. Now, for those of you uninitiated in Tumblr, there's no E. <laughs> yes, thank, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much for that. Um, I think if you don't know how to spell Tumblr, you're not going to do very well at it, but anyway. <laughs> I will also point out that I will be emceeing, uh, because that's the only way you could describe what I do at this event, at the Quick Draw event, which is basically for kids, and it usually puts three or four cartoonists up on a stage, and they draw whatever the kids, driven relentlessly by wisecracks for me, uh, tell them to draw. So uh, it's going to be uh, Jarrett... Uh, 
Krojuska and Jared, I apologize for mangling your name. Um, uh, Raina Telgemeier, the fabulous Raina Telgemeier, will be there. And, and Jean Yang, a newly, once again, nominated for a National Book Award uh, uh, for Young Go People's Jean Literature Yang. for uh, Boxers and Saints. So this is his second nomination for a National Book Award. Yep. All hail. Yep, that's great. It's quite a, I th- and I believe the first one he had was the first graphic novel. It was ever. the first graphic novel ever. Yeah, which was American Born ever, Chinese. Yes. And now he's, uh, well, it's long listed. So he's made yes. the long list in the yes. young books for younger readers yes. uh, with Boxers and Saints. Yes. So, so um, very impressive, yes, though. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, um, the Brooklyn Book Festival coming up. And, um, you know, and like now we're talking about two shows that are really you know, awesome. You walk around. Brooklyn's outdoors. Hopefully, you know, it won't be raining. But go around. Yeah. Get a Asia dog or yeah, a Shake Shack. And there'll be more comics yes. vendors this year, yes. too. So, there'll be more yeah. exhibitors in the in the. It's in always the really packed. And, I mean, considering yeah. New York's love of books, um, they, you know, we used to have New York's Book Country, which was a huge, huge, huge event. The Brooklyn Book Festival sort of picked up. But it hasn't quite gotten... Size wise, I don't think it's not its size wise, but it's but, uh, but it's certainly in the names of the uh, authors involved. Yes. Well, it it's is in Brooklyn, tough. and some people refuse to go there. Well, yeah, but most people well, that's kind of that's kind of over with these yeah, days. Yeah, that's not <laughs> right. Uh, no one wants to stay in Manhattan. Yeah, that's, that's what the deal is. Yeah, but uh, anyway, but, but now if you live in Queens, it's quite a way away. Well, that's true. It is uh, Queens resistant, so <laughs> okay, okay. Queens unfriendly. No. But speaking of unfriendly, <laughs> oh, one other thing, I just want to cite uh, Meg Limp be the chair of yes, the comics she's awesome. committee she's so uh, great which uh, she's been fabulous the committee also includes myself matt madden and matt madden and karen green but meg works tirelessly on this she it's really, really amazing she so really a shout does. out uh, to meg limp uh, meg limpke and, and congrats on another great yeah uh, slate of comics uh, public programming but anyway moving yes. on to uh, a bigger a, in, a bigger indoor event New York Comic Con is coming right up at us and though it will be fun for a lot of people that fun comes at a terrible price and uh, so uh, we've but been terrible t- prices packing your own lunch. Yes, or and also you know, wearing a hazmat suit and bringing a gas mask because <laughs> yes. as well as survivalist other survivalist gear because it's just so crowded there. Um, anyway, uh, one place that's always been super crowded at New York Comic Con has been the DC Comics booth, but it won't be this year because, because of their stinky comics. No, because <laughs> there won't even be a New York. Well, sort of. Well, you know, it's funny, yeah, because I was talking to Pam Mullen about this, too, because I said, so no booth, right? And then she sent me these clips and the the, the clips of of, um, John Cunningham on uh, MTV Geeks, which sound like no booth. Well, it's, but it's, well, they're having, in place of a booth, they're having a Superman stuff exhibition on the floor where the booth would normally be. And then they are also having a DC Comics area of Artists Alley where DC creators will all be grouped together for signings and so yes, on. Yeah. Now, so it's sort of like a split bifurcated booth kind yeah. of. Although, I mean, the way Pam explained it to me is that they're going to be up in the Crystal Palace with the costumes. <laughs> and that will be their booth. Oh, well, Crystal that's, Palace then. That's, that's the way Pam explained it to me. Now, have you? is there a third? Well, what I you, haven't <laughs> heard... I, because you know, I, I was you know, talking with Pam and they said, what are you doing? Well, this, I said, is there a, a booth story, or no booth? For a story that that they've been at pains to clarify, <laughs> it's, it's there's really no clarity. Every time they try to clarify it, it gets a little it gets less clear. It gets murkier. But 
There is a signing area on the floor. Yes, yes, and then you're right. That's also right. Also, a costume exhibit. Well, yeah, so. and I think that I, to be honest, your Crystal Palace. Uh, version uh, makes a lot more sense to me sense. because I think one of the well there's several reasons why they didn't want to set up on the floor from what I hear mm-hmm. and one was that they are really just looking at their marketing budget it costs probably not too far away from $100,000 to get a big giant booth into the Javits Center so mm-hmm. you know what that makes a lot of sense um and the other thing is that I, you know, they didn't set up at C two E two either, and um, right. but so for the same monetary reasons. But I think at New York Comic Con, I think if you read between the lines of what John Cunningham said, mm. it really got too crowded there. Yeah, I mean, well, it, it does. It gets crazy around it, the DC you can booth. See it always how has. It gets so crazy that all their goals for it kind of get sidelined. Right. That the idea of of meeting and talking with people that's just not happening. Right. The idea of of like promoting things beyond just handing someone a flyer, not going to happen when right. the crowds are too thick. Right. That, you know, they might just feel like it was a complete loss. Well, I don't even think that's the reason. I think it's really a safety issue. Yeah. I think no, it's really, too. yeah, I think safety is, I, I mean, I think everybody for, involved in the show has safety as the first concern. And, uh, I mean, it is very unsafe conditions. There I mean, have been very there unsafe conditions. There have been yes, very scary conditions. I mean, last year, complete gridlock on, Last year, the they floor. were very careful to have lots and lots of space between these widely spaced tables as the mm-hmm. DC booth, and it still was massively crowded yeah. on Saturdays. So I can see how they just were like, there's no way we can design this that right. work. And, I mean, I'm not Let's sure rethink it. what the solution to this is, but... Um, because, you know, it can get really crowded. Well, it doesn't get crowded in the Crystal Palace, but it can get crowded in that that mm-hmm. lane that you right. walk down to get to, depending right. on how they set yeah. that up. Yeah, the Javits is shit, let's face it. And, uh, <laughs> so, so, and it's just not made for, for, it's not made for massive crowds. You know, one thing that... Which is odd for a convention center. Yeah, but, but the, they planned it they, from see, business to business. Exactly, they didn't plan because that's what Reed shows. does. Yeah, and that's yeah, no, no, I'm saying Javits. Oh, Javits, excuse really me. Yes, you're right. Really no, no, you're right. It is so for, when you yeah. have a floor it is that large, show. you need a certain number of people to make that floor worthwhile. Yes. And frankly, it's not engineered for the number of people its short show floor can hold. Right. And, you know, here's another thing. It's, uh, they already spun off Artist Alley to this new North Hall, which is actually really nice, very spacious, and, and seemed pretty peaceful when I was there. Uh, however, you know, uh, large shows usually take up both floors mm-hmm. of the Javits Center. Like, remember when Book Expo was yes. big? Yeah. Remember when they had a whole second Absolutely. floor of exhibits? Absolutely. So if this show continues to be like this, at some point... Maybe they should expand they, further. We may need to take two floors. And now you're really getting into who made it and who didn't. And, I mean, I, I can see a lot of strife. That is a thing, well, because a lot of Book Expo uh, exhibitors back in the day, they didn't much like being on the second no. floor. No, they didn't. So, like that. but you know, the show may get to the size where there's really no choice. Yeah. Well, it looks like it's fast approaching that. Yeah. There's an easy way to do it: money. You know, if you want to buy a more expensive booth, you take the top floor. If you want a slightly cheaper booth, and you take the bottom floor. I'm sure yeah. that's occurred to them. Yeah, I'm sure it has. I'm sure it has. So yeah. But uh, anyway, I mean, this uh, obviously a very transitional year for New York Comic Con as yeah. they do come to terms, and you know, just. Again, as a preview, we've seen Comic-Cons just blow up this yes. year everywhere. With, uh, well, I, there's I, a limit to how much 
NYCC can blow up because they already hit their ticket cap. Right, they did. But I, I, well, I still we feel see. that we'll, you know, there's a brisk secondary market. They're they're trying to get rid of piracy, but I mean, this is New York. So, and uh, another thing is, one of the, I mean, we've talked about this before. One of the reasons why it gets so crowded is the security didn't check to see if people had badges yeah. on Sunday. Well, everyone they was have the RFID ones. It may get yes. a little better. Well, well they, they need to um, enforce they, existing yeah. rules. They seem like they're at least going to pretend like they're going to pay more attention. Yes. We'll, we'll see what happens. You know, it wouldn't be a bad thing maybe to expand mm. two floors and spread things out a bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see We'll what be happens. safe in our own <laughs> yes. booth. We'll we can go hiding. wherever we want. Kate yeah. will be there standing <laughs> there with her gorp, there. and I'll be sitting in the back with, well, with my but, Wi-Fi. But, but on the other hand, then there's, you know, then we take off from the booth and we're like, well, you know, I'm like, you know, I have to get back to the booth in an hour to man it. But right now I've got to get out there and get some interviews and get from... Yeah. This end of the massive crowd to that end of the massive crowd to get my interviews, and so it should be exciting. So anything that reduces the press slightly. Yeah, okay. Well, no they, photos on the floor. Once, uh, no once, photos on the floor. Once they would be hear, much appreciated. Uh, well, that's never going to happen. Yeah. Once, <laughs> once, uh, once they hear this podcast, though, they'll probably put us in the furthest, most right? yeah. remote well, corner well, of the bottom. New York Comic Con. <laughs> it's just it's not their fault that that New York's uh, convention center is. Maybe not well designed for comic. Hey, I'm conning here. I'm conning here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, there you go. But it's the con that we, it's the convention center that we got. So yeah. what we there got, we go. got to work with it. All right. Yeah. Alrighty. So. And briefs. now for the briefs, there is a scandal in manga in Japan right now, burning up the papers. Uh. Akita Publishing Company, known for Mystery Bonita and Princess, is in a lawsuit with a former employee who had opened a complaint against them in the Consumer Affairs Agency. Because, you see, they had been promising not just prizes, but massive prizes to their readers for various contests. And frequently, these prizes did not exist. Oh, my. Or if they oh, existed, they didn't go to listeners. Dear, on a regular basis. Dear. And it was this unnamed employee's job to distribute the prizes. She whistleblowed them and then got fired, supposedly, for stealing these non-existent prizes. So now she's suing them for actually only $33,000, but still, um, and her good name. Uh, and it's all looking very embarrassing for Akita Publishing. Okay, and on a lighter note, Zip Comics is becoming Z2 Comics. The micro-publisher Zip Comics is relaunching this coming April with new, well, a new edition of a book from Paul Pope. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul Pope's self-published book Escapo is now going to come out in color from Z2, and Dean Haspiel's new book, here, my dear, a Billy Dogma book is also coming out for yeah. them, um, and their plan. First time is that one's ever been uh, in print. In yeah. print, the, the uh, web comics. Yes, and they are planning on four to five books in 2014 and ten books in 2015. Yep. Mm -hmm. And they will be having digital editions of all their publications. Yeah. And Z2 is um, uh, run by Josh Frankel. Uh, yes. Uh, something of a uh, publishing phenom, young guy who uh, published uh, Harvey P. Carr's Cleveland uh, with uh, in, in partnership with Top Shelf, uh, an Eisner nomination, I believe, and two, 
Yeah, yes, and for the wonderful artist Joe Remnant. Um, and um, uh, um, I'm, I'm spacing out. Here anyway, he has a lot of plans and a lot of uh, he has, he has a lot, a lot of plans. Of plans. That's yeah, just he's say, just a good just guy. Just to say, so, keep yeah. your eyes on but, Z2. Yeah, but uh, check him out. Definitely a new publisher to watch. Yeah. And from speaking in pul- small publisher news, um, Oni Press's Queen and Country, the British spy comic from Greg Ruka, is become. Is yes is in the works to become a movie from 20th Century Fox. Uh, right now, they're in negotiations with Ellen Page to play the uh, main character, the secret agent Tara Chase. And she uh, seem will... right for it, though. Well, you know, Ellen Page. I, if you think she might be good, she I might know. be I good. Like Ellen Page. I like Ellen Page more than Scarlett Johansson. So. Yeah. I, I love well, Scarlett Johansson, like Scarlett but she's Johansson but she's too. but she's not Tara Chase. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's not Tara yeah. Chase. The whole yeah. point of Tara Chase is that she's not glamorous that she you know just out there doing the but job Paige, i don't know maybe i'm just flashing back to earlier movies she seems so young but I'm, well but we don't know how they're you know mm-hmm. hair and makeup can do a lot and mm-hmm. so can a lot of dirt yeah anyway that, um, i'm not I, i'm not pulling a ben affleck here on her yeah no this is this is not a ben <laughs> this affleck is just a low-key discussion but um I, yeah you know. so um so that's good news mm-hmm. for greg ruka good news for Oni Press and good news for all of us who really, really love Queen and Country. Cool. It's a good series. It is. Uh, and in larger press news, Marvel has finally put the Gary Friedrich uh, Ghost Rider brouhaha to rest. Um, for the past six years, Gary Friedrich has been squabbling with Marvel over trying to get back the rights to Ghost Rider, which he feels are his. Or get paid. And with suit and countersuit, and, you know, he sued Marvel, Marvel sued him. And, you know, Marvel won, then it got thrown out. Well, anyway, it was going to go to court in December 16th this year. But he now has an unspecified settlement, um, which which is worthy of note because this has not been the case with Marvel in recent memory that they have settled with people trying to get money for their rights to creators they care characters they created um so this is groundbreaking and also they've also had an unspecified settlement with the comic creator bob layton we're not sure what comic this settlement was for or how much he got but there was one well yeah i mean it's almost certainly about iron man since layton um worked on a lot of these storylines like the famous demon in a bottle storyline and many other aspects of the Iron Man character that are on display in the book. Uh, so, you know, maybe um, maybe it's, uh, you know, easier to pay somebody uh, $50,000 yeah. than to pay a lawyer $50,000. Well, and, and maybe, maybe Marvel and has realized that it's not only cheaper, but better it. PR. Yeah, you right. know, that maybe <laughs> the comic community would, be, would prefer... That you respect their beloved mm-hmm. creators instead of getting mm-hmm. into massive lawsuits. Well, them. I'd be very curious. Another creator who hasn't even tweeted anything is Jim Starlin, who uh, had the best case mm-hmm. of all for the use of Thanos. Because he, when they announced mm-hmm. it was going to be in the Avengers, pulled out um, his high school notebooks with the character oh. of Thanos. So I mean, Burn. it's yes. very, very clear who created the character of Thanos. For once, the uh, comic creator hoarding tendency came in useful. Yes, yes. And the reality is Marvel has no... I mean, we could talk about this at more length at a future podcast, but the reality is Marvel has no paperwork from any of this. They have moved around so much. They've lost all their paperwork. They've never produced Hmm. any kind of 
uh, paperwork that yeah. proves they own a lot of this work. Awkward. So uh, they've attempted to go back in and get people to sign a lot of things retroactively. But um, you know what? Maybe a modest payoff is better. Yeah, I, I than think it's, it's better than yeah. the argument because we're a massive corporation. That's why and we, we yeah. can just stiff you because we can. Yeah. So that's certainly we have more. Disney this lawyers be certainly now. more enlightened. And I, and I mean, if you run up against a real buzzsaw like yeah. um, you know Mark Toberoff, uh, well then you can uh, you know spend all your money on lawyers in perpetuity. Yeah. And and but if for a smaller creator like a uh, Gary Friedrich or Bob Layton, probably yeah. pay them off before they talk to Toberoff. They're probably very e- <laughs> like they're probably much more easily satisfied. I suspect right. Disney and, thought they were, and you know, yeah, when they're so. bringing in when these characters and properties are bringing in literally billions of dollars it, to pay, you know, fifty thousand here or there to a creator to make sure you keep the rights, mm-hmm. might be worth it. Right. Well, we don't know exactly because no one can talk about the terms. Mm-hmm. So we're not taking Marvel Disney off the hook, but we're no. just saying for right we're just now, saying it, it seems yes. like a better <laughs> approach than sue the hell out of yes. us. Yes. 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 There you go. And that's it for this uh, week. Well, you know what? I have one brief I oh, want to mention very, very briefly, which is uh, just to following up on the convention theme here, that Wizard World has added seven shows to its schedule in brand new territories for them, Good including Sacramento, <laughs> Louisville, Atlanta, San Antonio, Richmond, Minneapolis, and Tulsa. It's very so, interesting. Don't forget well, Winona. What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, it, it's very interesting that they did Boston. It's very interesting that they felt the need to open in Atlanta, home of Dragon Con. Well, I mean, Atlanta's a huge market, mm. so they it use is, the top ten market. They easily could throw two shows there. If Can I make a confession? I've never been to a wizard show. Well, you're not missing much of anything right now, but <laughs> as they are. I mean, I think their people have a lot of fun. Uh, they've mm-hmm. announced the top line guests. I mean, this is basically a place to go meet Walking Dead cast members. Yes. Well, okay. well, once a, well, I mean, it's, it's kind of sad because I remember what Wizard World Philadelphia used to be like before I, New York Comic Con. It, it was, was the big aw, show around it here. Awesome. It was a real con. So much fun. Yeah, uh, I love And doing. Wizard Cons have have kind of gone down market since then. Well, they've refocused. They've, they've refocused. refocused. They've really refocused. More wrestlers. Well, they went, yeah. the, well, they went through this period, yes, where they're, so I was told, um, they were setting up MMA cages in the show. Yeah. Well, I think that was when Garab Sheamus, uh, owner of Wizard, ha- owned a MMA uh, company or was a partner in an MMA company. I mean, I have no... Um, nothing against I have, MMA. I have nothing, <laughs> I have, no, I have nothing against MMA. I love it. I have nothing against Wizard World in the abstract. And, you know, for people who go, they have a good time with the shows. I Just know say, what you're getting. But I will also say that there have been some concerns mentioned about some of the scheduling. And, of course, it is almost impossible. There are three or four yeah. or five shows nationwide... Um, it was suggested to me that uh, going into Atlanta, the Atlanta show is scheduled just uh, before Heroes Con, which is about a four-hour drive. So it's kind of a regional, sort of a mm-hmm. regional show. Um, a lot of people might not mm-hmm. think it was a regional show. but um, uh, And, you know, they're holding a Richmond show in Richmond, Virginia, like uh, the same week as SPX and a week after the Baltimore Comic Con. So... Um, How do publishers? I mean, do publishers no, exhibit? Pub, no. Publishers don't go to these. They shows. just don't go. Yeah, not anymore. How they don't. could they? Yeah. yeah, they used to. Well, I, I would. Uh, again, I have nothing against those who go. Have mm. a good time. If you want to meet CM Punk or Michael Rooker, it's awesome. Um, props to you. I will say, 
if you look at the history of another convention company called Creation Con, uh, yeah. yes, it's almost identical. Creation Con Ooh. back in the 70s through Ooh. the Comic Cons, they were the big shows the year. They had lots of mm-hmm. creators. They also had lots of autographs shows. And then they gradually um, focused, refocused their branding to be horror shows. And then they would have Star Trek conventions. They would have Xena and Hercules conventions. They would have... Like, I, th- I don't know if they ever had a Buffy convention. Basically, do you want to meet the actors come to Creation Con? Yes, but it would be very, very simple. It would be a Star Trek Con with William Shatner or Leonard Nimoy or, yeah. you know, whoever. Yeah. And then a very not meager... Not a lot of fan not programming. A, not a lot, no program. Well, no, very no. meager programming, very mm-hmm. meager dealer rooms. And they have just sort of meagerly vanished mm-hmm. into the woodwork because... It's just pay a fee and meet a TV. Yeah, yeah. that's Star. definitely not enough. And Wizard World shows absolutely offer a better experience experience mm-hmm. in that right now yeah. I, I, I mm-hmm. mean even their their you know biggest questioners would say that but I'm just saying it's yeah. like once you go down the nerd liberty pike you have to be careful yeah yeah yes. yeah uh, I just want to add also that um, I've been asked by a friend of the show to mention more regularly that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes you sure can so, just Apple lets us do it so go for it y'all yeah because there's uh, more to come. Yes. There is more, more to come. come. But more to come right now are some interviews from yes. the floor yes. at Small Press yes. Expo. So, take it away. Enjoy. Hi, uh, this is Heidi McDonald of PW Comics World, More to Come Podcast. I'm here at SPX in Bethesda, Maryland, and right now I'm talking to Box Brown, uh, the uh, maven of retrofit comics. Um, and uh, just explain in your own words, what is retrofit comics? Um, well, it's a, I, I always, I'm like, is it a publishing house? Okay, it's a publishing house. Um, it's a, we publish, we aim to publish frequent comics, short comics with staples in them. That's our mission statement. Um, actually, which is actually funny because the new comic we did is, was the paper we used, a little bit too thick, is it actually will be square bound. <laughs> but uh, we aimed to have staples in it. Right, right. And they're not like traditional comic book size. They're actually kind of like smaller digest size. Yeah, comic. they're, yeah, but we did a few at a 6x9, which is a little bit bigger than, than digest, but digest is better cost-wise. So we'll be seeing probably more of that. Although the new being with Big Planet Comics now, we have a lot more options for printing because we're, we're able to print more comics. No, no, okay, can you explain this? Now, you have a subscription model that people buy the comics on. How many books do you publish a year? Well, the first, I did 17 books in 17 months when I started. But then I thought that that was too much, too frequent. It was every month. It was just, I, I couldn't keep up, really. I, I could get it done, but I wasn't able to give each book the amount of time and marketing and talking about it I, you know by the time I was ready to talk about the, to start selling this book I had to work on the next one or whatever. so then this past year I tried to do less I was like I'm gonna do six books I'll put my own book out in the summer because the summer is traditionally like a bad sales thing but I want to have something right so I did a comic about the summer it, it helped a little right seasonal yeah 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 so um, but um, but now that I've worked with Big Planet we're gonna increase the increase it again because we can and it just frees I have more free time so I'm not dealing with the 
the shipping and all that stuff. Well, now let's explain this because I, I just want to give an idea. Like you have a pretty substantial uh, backlist of you know even though they're small books, but but you do have quite a backlist of books. I won one uh, an Ignatz Award last night. You published uh, Gold Rush by John Martz. Gold so Star. You, Gold Star. Pardon me. All right. So you have partnered with Big Planet Comics, which is a chain of stores here in the uh, Maryland Virginia area, correct? Mm -hmm. And so what is it exactly that they are doing? They, it, they came, the deal came at this like critical juncture really. There was a lot of, I, I, no one knew this was happening but I was definitely like at, for like a few days being like I don't know if I can continue doing retrofit because not that they're not profitable books, they are. Every book, I, we maybe one is maybe we've lost money on one or two but almost every book has made money and done well. But, uh, I don't. I didn't have the. I don't have the cash flow really. I mean, like, I, I'm. I have to worry about selling this book. Enough of these sales to fund the printing of the next one, and really you need more time than that to, to right. let it happen. And so, at the same time, this is all going on. I was like, I got like a two thousand dollar printing bill. My rent, my rent was due. All this stuff. So I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I can charge this. Blah blah. And then, I ended up paying that bill, but I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to continue. Right at that moment, <laughs> like, the universe called to Jared at Big Planet, and he emailed me and was like, hey, we're looking to get into publishing. Like, do you have any advice for us? <laughs> you know? Your advice was, hey, why yeah. didn't you buy into I was like, you know what? <laughs> you could start from scratch, but we have like 56,000 Tumblr followers and a whole thing set up. I really would hate to lose the brand, the, all the effort we did trying to make the brand people aware of this brand. Why start from scratch? How about you just partner with me? And he was like, this is amazing. It was like a perfect thing that happened. It was like, it was like one of those things where I, you know, I don't even believe in this stuff, but like, I feel like every comic artist at some point, probably frequently, it's like, I don't know if I can continue doing this because it's an unsustainable lifestyle. Right. And, there's, and at that, those moments when something like this, something will come up that reinvigorates you and keeps you going. And this was one of those things that just like, I was like, okay, this is going to work out, you know. Right. And it's really enabled me to just, I, all, I only have to focus on the editorial and creative aspect of working with the artist. And Jared handles cash flow. Jared handles shipping the books, getting them out to stores, all the stuff, right. the minutia of it, and he's skilled at it, you know what I mean? And he knows what he's doing, and, and I didn't, don't really, right. you know, I'm not really, a bit, I feel like I'm kind of good at business for an artist, but not really good at business right. for a Well, business you got person. to a level where you learned what you weren't good at, in other yeah. words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, so with Retrofit, I mean, I just, you know, some of the cartoonists you've published include, um, you know, well, like John March, Tom Hart, who else have you published? James Kachalka. Um, Chuck Forsman, um, Noah Van Skyver, um, Simon. This year we did we did some two relatively lesser known cartoonists. Um, Andrew White is like a new cartoonist, young cartoonist. And Simon Norton, who is a UK artist, so I felt I felt I could help reach a, a larger audience. And, right. Um, um, Josh Bayer. Yeah. We did a few comics with Josh. But I mean, you know, the, the, the point is that it's a very distinguished. I mean, it's not like you're publishing people. Some of them have actual, you know, book deals at, mm -hmm. at you know, larger publishers. Right. Um, so, uh, I mean, what are your, 
you know, now that you have this kind of business infrastructure for retrofit, what's your hopes for it? Uh, well, I guess ultimately, I would like to be able to continue doing it. I, you know, I, I'd like to, with the artists I'm, we're coming out next year, I try to try to have a, a group of artists that I think already kind of have like a big audience, right. you know, and then try to have a group of artists that I think are really deserving of, of a bigger audience. So I try, I try to use the, the, the bigger name people to sell the people that don't have a big name. Right, right, right. So just get exposure for, for, for all, of, yeah. all of your Yeah, and ultimately scale. I'd also like to get like a, some money every month or something <laughs> right, too. So. Right. Uh, do you consider yourself a micro publisher? Is that the, the I guess I mean I guess that's the what we call it now. I think there's this micro publishing like movement or whatever is just filling up the void because you know there was a void left when Fantagraphics stopped publishing comics with staples in them. Right. And there was a void when top shelf top shelf stopped doing it. Right. And maybe the market at, at some point couldn't. It was all graphic novels, and I could see the appeal of doing that because it scales up your profit a lot. But for a cartoonist, I think that the short comic like that is actually the perfect medium for storytelling. Even graphic novels are better, I think, serialized. My personal His opinion. own opinion yeah, here, yeah. folks. Not necessarily that. Um, more to come. I, I, only in terms of working on it. Because when you're working on a graphic novel, you're like hidden away. And no one's seeing this work until it's done. When you're serializing, you're getting feedback as it's going, and change, it changes the way you think about the story. Well, no, I, I actually do agree with you. I mean, I think you need both formats. And certainly for some people, absolutely, they can turn out maybe a 16 or 32-page story and not spend five years toiling away in a graphic novel. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you know, until you get to a, uh, a place like... Until they'll uh, pay you to work on yeah, it, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, a Jeff Smith or a Scott McCloud, mm -hmm. and, you know, they spend years working on their books. So right. then Jeff did serialize his. So, yeah. so he actually isn't a good example. But, um, wow, well, oh, um, okay, what, what is the next release from Retrofit that we should look for? Uh, Roman Muradoff, Picnic Ruins, just debuted at SPX. And then we have two books, two more books coming out this fall, we'll probably debut at Comic Arts Brooklyn. Um, one um, by an artist named Zi John Shen, which is a Chinese artist, and she lives in the U.S., but I think she goes back and forth to China, too. Um, but actually, that book will be in Chinese with with uh, translations. Well, very lucrative market. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then uh, Sophia Foster Dimino, who is an amazing artist. Yeah. I'm really happy that, that she agreed to do a book with me. So, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Box. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's uh, uh, weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. Uh, recording live at uh, SBX, that's a small press expo uh, in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, really, one of the one of the really uh, terrific uh, uh, small comics festivals around the country. Uh, and I'm here talking with um, Josh Kramer, editor of the cartoon Picayune, who was really helpful to me. Uh, was this like was this was this year before last when we? Yeah put together our comics and journalism panel at uh, at Comic-Con. Uh, Josh, thanks for giving me some time. Yeah, no problem at all. Thank you. Um, well, actually, what I'd like to know, just like, you know, what do you do at SBX? And then let's talk about the, the cartoon picking up. Yeah, absolutely. I've been coming here for a few years. I used to come here as a college student, uh, as a volunteer, and I've always just loved this show, and I'm lucky that it's that kind of my hometown show has grown into the preeminent mini comics show, uh, the independent comic show of North America. 
Um, so yeah, I love it here at SPX. Without a doubt. And uh, what we were just talking upstairs, it, it, it's grown uh, by uh, an impressive measure. I mean, they've opened a, an entire number, uh, another room. Yeah, I think it's over 600 exhibitors uh, this yeah. year. So, um, But yeah, I always come here to exhibit with my friends. It's a great chance for people to visit and uh, kind of catch up with the community um, and to yeah build network around comics journalism. Mm -hmm. So um, the cartoon Picayune is, uh, was started in 2011, and it's a twice-annual anthology of nonfiction comics. So everything in it is true. Uh, every person is a real person. Every... Um, speech bubble is a real quote from somebody and uh, yeah it's all true stories um, yeah and what's your what's your background I mean are you a journalist uh, I went to journalism school at American here in mm -hmm. DC and I went to the Center for Cartoon Studies in ah. White River Junction Vermont ah, actually, yeah. I didn't know that ah, yeah ah. and so um, Bob Thickens yeah exactly <laughs> And so, good journalism, good cartooning. Exactly. <laughs> and so I was able to kind of do some small town reporting in Vermont, and mm -hmm. kind of that's where the Cartoon Picayune started. It was um, my thesis project in my second year of CCS. Mm -hmm. And from there, it's kind of grown, and now my role as a cartoonist in the anthology has shrunk a little bit, and I'm only in like a few pages each issue, but I have amazing contributors like Andy Warner, who was on your panel, yeah, and um, just uh, Emmy Guinness, and really talented people um, are all over it. Um, the new issue is something I'm, I'm really proud of. It's uh, now they're around themes, and this new one is around a theme of hard work, and so um, it has a story by Andy Warner about... Um, sex workers in San Francisco um, about their unionization and a potential legalization of their trade. It has a story about um, factory workers in the 1930s who are, uh, well, spoilers, they're poisoned by their factory in surprise, their terrible... Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of different yeah. stuff, and um, I'm really happy with the direction it's been going, and I've gotten a lot of good feedback about this issue, so I think it's definitely the one to pick up. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it, Comics and journalism, I mean, or comics as journalism, is sort of really getting a lot more traction, I guess, incrementally now in the broader culture. Um, uh, there's even now a multimedia, Zimbalia, that yeah. uh, Aaron Pogren has launched. Um, you know, what, where, what, what changes have you seen? Uh, just in sure. Far as, and, I, and your work as a, and the cartoon picture has to be contributing to this, this climate also. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think, um, you know, it's all different pieces of the same thing like I am a cartoonist I want to mm -hmm. work on my own work I want to be an editor I want to um, help people get into magazines and into newspapers I think um, what's happening more than it has been happening before is that um, there is uh, there's work editors on the editorial side and not just the art directors are noticing that this is important work that will help con uh, readers connect with the subject so they're People, uh, editors at Slate and, Was and mm -hmm. the Washington City Paper and um, GQ and National Geographic, they are putting comics journalism into the magazine and into the newspaper, and it's great. And I think that helps with visibility and helps with um, convincing people that, you know, this isn't something weird or out of the ordinary. It's just another way to use the journalistic tool set, a way to, a new medium to kind of tell true stories. Absolutely. Um, wait, look, how can people get a copy of Cartoon Picayune? Yeah, sure. Um, if they're, it, if they're yeah. not lucky enough to be coming to XPX. Yeah, XPX. it might be at your local comic shop, so mm -hmm. I would try there and ask mm -hmm. for it. But also, I would go on uh, CartoonPicayune.com. That's uh, P-I-C-A-Y-U-N-E. 
and um, it's easy. Uh, I'll send you one. Okay. I'll put it in the mail to you. All right, great. Well, uh, Josh, thanks so much for giving us some time. Thank you. All right. Um, welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's um, podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing, uh, broadcasting, uh, so to speak, podcasting, I suppose I should say, uh, direct from uh, the Small Press Expo in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, really uh, one of the premier uh, small press indie comic shows in the country. And I'm here talking with Dan Nadell, uh, the publisher of Picture Box. And um, how are you doing? Thanks for giving us some time. Thanks for having me. I'm doing good. Yeah. Um, tell uh, the folks out there in podcasting a little bit about SPX and, and, and what you're doing here at well, SPX. Well, SPX is always a great show. It's a great vibe, and everybody always comes out, and it's a pretty happy time. And I'm here debuting uh, three, three books. Uh, one is Pompeii by Frank Santoro, which tells the story of a painter's assistant uh, just before the explosion of Mount Vesuvius. Um, it's a great graphic novel. It's a romance, essentially, a sort of romance between the painter and his assistant and the assistant's girlfriend and how it, all that sort of interacts and interplays. And it's about painting and love and, of course, uh, Rome. So it's a hell of a book. It is. I, I haven't read it yet. I've seen it and, and kind of gone through it. It's on the review desk at PW. So Heidi, uh, Heidi ha- slaps my hand if she thinks I'm about to steal things and take them home. But I, I love the drawing and the interaction you talked about. Yeah, it's, so. a, it's beautifully drawn, very yeah. lyrical. And it's a great story. It's a yeah. great, simple love story. Yeah. And the other book I'm debuting is called uh, School Spirits. It's by a young cartoonist named Anya Davidson. Hmm. It's her first graphic novel. And it takes place in high school. And it's about, it's sort of hard to describe what it's about, but it's about a... <laughs> Uh, a girl and a, a girl and her friend and their kind of adventures in rock and roll and the kind of magical relationship between rock and roll and a rock and roll band and what it can do for its fans and and they have all kinds of adventures in the spirit world as Good. as sort of played into life by guitar it's a it's a really yeah. fun book with a kind of classic cartooning style yeah. And uh, the other one I'm debuting is called uh, World Map Room. It's by Yuichi Yokoyama. It's his fifth book with Picture Box. Cool. Uh, Japanese cartoonist. It's translated, of course. Um, and it came out just this year in Japan. So it's sort of almost simultaneous with the Japanese release. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And then we just had advanced copies of a book called Gold Pollen by Saichi Hayashi. And that's a... Uh, collection of short stories from the early 1970s uh, from Japan translated. Well, this is this new line of manga. It's a new line of manga called classic manga. Yeah, classic manga. It's called Masters of Alternative Manga, and he is uh, indisputably one of them. Um, and it's a collection of color, short stories in color, different colors, different inks, um, very surreal and very politically uh, and personally charged. He's sort of dealing with American culture and its infiltration into uh, into Japan at the time. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about Picture Box? Because the work you publish, I mean, there's a lot of experimental work here at SBX, yeah. but, uh, but I mean, some, your work, I think, somehow really is really sets it apart. I mean, you're really aggressively experimental, but beautifully produced books, of course, um, and, and international as well. Yeah, I like to support cartoonists who really have a unique vision. I like to think of them as as uh, being unto themselves and kind of inventing new languages for themselves all the time. That's what I really get into. And yeah, I 
have American cartoonists and Japanese cartoonists. I published a French cartoonist named Blutch last spring. Oh, yes, of course, yes. And uh, all these people are inventing their own cartooning languages. They're sort of unprecedented in that way. And at the same time, you have a long history of really looking into the, the history of, com of comics. Yes. Um, really, almost forgotten cartoonist. The the book that you uh, the book that you did all about it, out of time. Yeah, yeah. And also, I shouldn't really leave out the comics journal. Right, yes. and I'm the co-editor <laughs> yes. of the comics journal. Thank you very much. Yes, yes, which I love. Yes. So, um, so uh, how is SBX this year? I mean, it's always a great show, uh, full of uh, terrific work, enthusiastic yes. uh, fans uh, and professionals, for that matter. And we've seen a much bigger SBX this year. I mean, it's, the hall is expanded. It's, it's much bigger. It's a little more diffuse than it's been in last mm -hmm. year. In previous years, it's been sort of jam-packed, and I think that jam-packedness leads to maybe more of a frenzy around buying. Mm -hmm. This year, it seems to be a, a little more browsing, a little more diffuse, more exhibitors, so there's more possibilities. Um, and that's great, I think, for people to see all the different kinds of comics mm -hmm. being made. But on the commerce side, it's, it's slower well, slow this, this year. year. Yeah. Well, you still got another day to go, yeah, so absolutely. we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, and the weather's beautiful. The weather's beautiful, and SPX always, yeah. you know, the staff is great. It's beautifully organized. I mean, I think really this is, I mean, we've seen over the last few years more and more, both giant comics convention and smaller, I think Heidi sort of coined a, a term, uh, comics art festivals yeah. cropping up around the country. And I, I, I have to believe SBX is a model for, for many of these. Absolutely. SBX must be a model yeah. because it, you know, the combination of having great programming with great international guests uh, every and, and the support, SBX just offers so much support for its cartoonists. I mean, from publicity to just simple organizational things to the hotel, that kind of support and community feeling is really really important and i think carries over to other festivals yeah. yeah in fact i should mention that you know the the, the entire festival takes place in uh, it's a, a marriott here the bethesda marriott i think it is it's right on top of a a metro station in fact i i come down on the uh, amtrak in the morning take the train out and i'll he i'm heading back tonight right uh it's really easy to get to uh and really it doesn't doesn't start stop with the train uh as you're saying the sbx uh, organizers they really go out of their way to make everybody Everybody feel, feel very welcome. Yeah, right. Absolutely. It's All a right. great festival. Dan, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, well, that's it. Uh, Small yeah. Press Publishing is alive yeah. and well. Well, we, uh, we, we, we can experience SBX again uh, through the magic of podcasting I technology. It's just bringing back uh, the, the <laughs> so, sound. Memories, so, memories. Enjoy. Memories, memories. <laughs> Until next time. More to come. <laughs>